Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Deke Copenhaver on the line. Deke, how are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm looking forward to this conversation. You're the former mayor of Augusta, Georgia, uh, and have done some amazing things. But share with the audience a little bit about you, and then we'll dive right into uh, leadership and politics and wherever the conversation yeah, takes absolutely. us. Absolutely. I, I served as mayor of Augusta for nine years from 2005 through 2014. Um, started my own consulting business, Copenhagen Consulting, after leaving office. Hosted a call-in radio show for a year for three hours a day here at Augusta and uh, and actually wrote a best-selling book, The Changemaker, The Art of Building Better Leaders. So I tell people I'm, I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to do when I grow up. As Jimmy Buffett warns us, don't grow up, it's a trap. So I, I, tend I, to, I couldn't I, agree more. I tend to follow Jimmy's guidance, probably maybe a little bit too much in certain days, <laughs> but that's okay. You know, uh, fins up, you know, we're all good on that. So <clears throat> while there's a lot there to unpack, uh, so we'll, we'll start off, you know, your, your time in, in serving as mayor. Yeah. Um, what, what inspired you to uh, run for office? Because that obviously is a huge endeavor. Uh, yeah. Both financially, but also personally. Um, you know, what what drove you to uh, to want to become mayor of a wonderful city like Augusta? In 2004, I went through a statewide leadership program called Leadership Georgia, which is the oldest um, state leadership program in the U.S. But we had a history of really bad politics in Augusta. And my graduation weekend in 2004, we had our third current or former elected official go under indictment. And the governor's chief of staff at that point, a friend of mine named Eric Tannenblatt, when I got off the bus in Thomasville, Georgia, he said, what are you guys putting in the water up there? So I am so competitive. And I thought that's the straw that broke the camel's back. We need new leadership. So I was 37 years old, politically independent, had never been involved in politics, but I ran and uh, I was actually taken in a back room by local business leaders who I've New in respect and no in respect to this day, but I was told not to run because I hadn't paid my dues, that older people wouldn't vote for me, that younger people wouldn't vote for me because they didn't vote, and that African-Americans wouldn't vote for me. And But they had said at the same time that, that I would be the best mayor out of the field of candidates. And I said, that's just crazy. And I, as I say, I'm very competitive. And I said, look, I'm going to run and I'm going to win whether you guys your guy is in the race or not. So I, I did in 2005, had to run again. That was to fulfill an unexpired term and had to run again in 06, won then, and then in 2010 and won then. But I, it's, I never went negative. I wanted to be a candidate that people could get excited about. So it, I just did the antithesis of politics as usual. And it worked. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, and it's one of those things because I always love hearing stories of why somebody chose that path because, again, it takes, it takes a toll 
on you. Um, there's a lot going on to run, you know, a town or a city. Yeah. Um, all the players, you know, business leaders, government from you know the state capital, you know, federal can get involved too, depending on what's going on in the world. So, uh, I commend you for you know giving up of your time and you know obviously you know being you know being the mayor for as long as you did, and and again an amazing amazing city. So, from that, you know, you 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 launched a book um, that yeah. came out uh, a couple of years ago, I think now, or maybe not a couple of years ago, but not not too long ago. Yeah, but a, but a leadership book, and yours stands out because your approach of leadership is much like I think you know your time as mayor, a refreshing approach on yeah. leadership and not just your quintessential okay here's here's how to lead here's this and this so you know tell us about the the process of you know wanting to write the book and and in some of the the nuggets that are in it you know it, it's poetic irony because i didn't grow up wanting to be mayor i actually wanted to be a writer but i've always gone basically where i've seen the greatest need so in 2018 forbes approached me about writing a book and i when i got the email i thought it was a joke or a scam so I almost deleted it, but my first question to him was, how did you find me? So I'd been writing a monthly column on leadership for about five years for an organization called the Georgia Municipal Association, which represents all the cities in the state. So they had had a, an internet-based team do research to find people producing content on par with Forbes brand. So it, it came out in 2019, but, it, but it's interesting too, um, I was doing a speaking engagement a couple of years ago and a gentleman asked me, what's at the core of your book? And I said, it's in leadership positions, even in politics, you can maintain your character and, and integrity and treat everybody with dignity and respect and still be successful. And he looked at me and he said, well, I can't wait to read it because I don't think that's possible. I'm like, but I did it here at Augusta for nine years. And I, I always felt like if you gave people an alternative, they'd respond to it. But sadly, you know, so many people read the book, a good friend of mine who's a conservative Republican, and I'm happily independent. People call me politically agnostic, and I'll, I'll take that as a compliment. But he said, it's not what I thought it would be. It's just you getting up and walking around naked for nine chapters. And I think that's somebody asked me, a reporter said, you talk about, you know, vulnerability so much in the book. Can you be in politics and be vulnerable? I said, yeah, Absolutely. He said, well, all the time, I said, that's how I connected with the citizens I serve is I didn't say I was, you know, make promises I couldn't keep. And I didn't speak in sound bites and rhetoric, but it's been interesting when I first spoke with Forbes about it, they said, well, you're going to have to target a demographic. And I thought, well, I didn't do that in nine years in office and I didn't do that, you know, for a year on the radio. And that seemed to be, those seemed to be successful endeavors, but I grew up a punk rock fan and I didn't tell Forbes this, but I'm like, I'm going to do it my way. So my editor midway through the process said, this is really going to appeal to a lot of people. So after the book came out, I had a um, lady here in Augusta who's African-American. She's vice chair of the Democratic Party. I was doing a speaking engagement. She said, I love your book. My 18-year-old daughter loves your book and you need to run again. And I'd vote for you if you're a Republican. And then that same week had a gentleman who knows the president, was a dyed-in-the-wool supporter of President Trump, came up to me and said, I absolutely love your book, and went on and on about it. And I thought, do I tell him that the African-American vice chair of the Democratic Party had the same reaction? But there, there really is the only power any leader should concern themselves with is the power to inspire. 
because nobody can do anything alone. But if you can inspire people to work with you, there's nothing you can't do. Yeah, it speaks volumes to what I see in the perceived divided state that we live in. Um, I think we have more in common than we have differences. And unfortunately, the the noise and the, you know, doesn't matter which network it is, you know, there's a lot of noise because they're trying to get ratings. They want yep. viewers <laughs> and I get all of that stuff. But when you get down to it, at the core value of any issue, there's common ground. And getting to that, it's like, what do our citizens need? It doesn't matter, you know, what riding we're in or what state or municipality, what do the people in our community need from us? And we do that and figure out the common ground. And yes, there's give and take and there's negotiation. You give a little here, you give a little there. That's how it works. Um, and, there's always been, you know, everybody's like, oh, it's so, you know, there's always combative and things like that. It's like, dig into the history books, okay? Back in Jefferson's day and Washington's day and in Congress, there's portraits of debates and I'm sure there was yelling and all kinds of other stuff. Yeah. It happens because we are passionate about things, but sometimes it's, okay, let's take a step back. What do we, why are we here? What do we need to do? And, and come to a common ground. And that's when things get done. And, you know, like, you know, the you, situation that you just mentioned, it's like you had a staunch Republican and a staunch Democrat both agreeing on your content. And it's like, that's where, where you're at, I honestly feel, is where the majority of people live and reside, that they're in that middle. There's some degrees of this and degrees of that, depending on a particular matter. Okay. Yes, there could be some polarizing change of viewpoints, but for the most part, everyone wants to make sure that everyone has opportunity and yep. ideas come about that make things better for all of us. And when we get to those points of view, that's when things get done and things get better. And my hope you know, throughout all of this and over the next, you know, four years and beyond is that we find those common ground areas, do the things that we need to do as a nation, as a municipality, as a state, whatever the case may be. And when you do that, the voters will get what they need out of life and it'll just be better for everybody involved. I, you and I are on exactly the same page. And, you know, through the pandemic, I've met, met people worldwide who agree that, you know, we've got to find middle ground, but I agree with you that I view society as a bell curve and most people are in the middle of the bell curve, but all we see in the mainstream media and in politics are the extremes. And I, I personally, most of the people that I know fit into that bell curve, but I had a friend say America or, you know, Canada or name the nation, people say it's horribly divided. He said, it's not, people feel politically homeless and socially homeless because the platforms that you that we have basically skew to the extremes. And I think social media plays into that as well. But I, I think that really, you know, it, I'm trying to find platforms where I can connect people. And sometimes to find common ground, I'm going to be the common ground. And I felt like, you know, I won three elections with an average of 64% of the vote. So at if 64% of the people in my city could agree that they 
appreciated the work the mayor was doing, you know, those were Democrats, Republicans, black, white, male, female, other. Well, that was a common ground issue. And so I think it's the same thing with my book. I mean, to have it rallied around by generations and by people from different walks of life, that's a good thing. And if they can agree that they enjoy the book and they can have a conversation about it, you know, that's a starting point. I always ask authors this, what's your favorite part of your book? Uh, you may have several, I'm sure, but is there a particular chapter or section that uh, really resonates with you? There, there, there is. I, I talk about reaching out to the next generation of leaders toward the, that's the final chapter of the book. But to see that the, the way it's got through to that generation and so often the generation behind us, and I'm sure the generation behind them, have told me, we feel like we're being talked over, not talked to. And you talk to us. So one of the coolest things that happened with the book is I, University of Texas, El Paso, um, their Student Engagement and Leadership Center found the book organically, which I didn't know and um, it worked it into a powerful pages program. So I found out because I see all these students from UTEP throwing up pictures on Instagram of them reading the book. So I was able to go speak um, out there actually on March 10th. And so I'm like, eh, here's the beginning of my career of being on college campuses all over the place. And then just some things happen. But it really is, it's to be able to speak to that generation because if we don't do outreach and mentoring to the generation behind us, who are going to be the role models to get them to do it for the generation behind them? It's crucial to talk to the generations that have come after us um, to not to talk over them, like you said, but to talk with them and engage them where they are exactly. and, and find out from them, okay, what, you know, what questions do you have? And they may not know. So you, you just start having a dialogue and you let that conversation you know, come to fruition and then the, the questions that they have and the guidance that they need are there. I am, you know, as a Gen Xer, you know, there's no shortage of millennial jokes and uh, that are out there. And I'm for one of the opinion of this is an amazing generation that is pushing the boundaries and changing the way that work is, life is, our footprint in the world our impact in the world. It's like celebrate it. You, you, you broke that nut that we've been trying to crack for a while because mm -hmm. every generation has wanted to do something to leave an impact. They're doing it and they're doing it at an early age. Yeah. And I want them to feel support and, and get nurturing from us and, and the mentoring that they want from us. It's like, okay, what do you want to know from us? You know, the vault's open. What do you want to know? How can we help you? Here's some things that we saw from our perspective. Doesn't mean that you need to follow those same steps. Quite frankly, make your own path. Um, you know, I, I mentioned this the other day um, too. Um, there's a broadcaster who broadcasts for the San Diego Padres, Ted Leitner, who just retired um, from that role. Um, and Jesse Agler um, is taking over his role. And Jesse's been in the booth with him for a few years now. And, you know, a, a lot of people are of the opinion, oh my goodness, you are replacing, you know, a legend, you know, you know, those are big shoes to fill. And I, I sent him a tweet. I said, don't try to fill Ted's shoes. Mm -mm. 
bring your own shoes and walk your own path. Be you. That's what we want. We want you to be you, Jesse. We don't want you to be Ted. Ted's Ted or Ernie Harwell or Harry Carey or all the great broadcasters that so many of us have grown up with and listened and watched and enjoyed for decades. The new generation, I want them to be them and do the skills that gifts that they have use those because the world desperately needs it. And as us, you know, an older generation, we're like, okay, what can we do to encourage you and make sure that you are successful? If there's anything we can do, let us do it. We'll be more than happy to because it makes the world better. Exactly. And, you know, there's always a tendency to stereotype, right? So you're Generation X, I'm Generation X. We were shoegazers, we were lazy, and I will say, I love grunge in the Seattle Sound. I can probably say I'm the only former mayor in the U.S. to ever have moshed at a Nirvana show. But, you know, I think I have done pretty much with my life, and so many people I know that were in that category, yourself included, have come out all right. And so I, I think we need to move away from stereotyping, oh, you know, millennials are always on their phone. Well, look around. Most people are always on their phone now. And so that's that's stereotyping, but I agree with you. I think due to the pandemic, you know, my father flew B-17 bombers in World War II. The greatest generation became the greatest generation because they had to. And the, as connected as this generation is, I think we're looking at the next great generation. I wholeheartedly agree because they're going to push things forward at a faster pace than we were able to, although you know this in a generation growing up from televisions that had no remote control to being able to watch pretty much whatever we want, whenever we want, yeah. it's on demand and we can watch it on our phones or on our watches. And uh, you know the innovation that we've seen, the internet, you know, self-driving cars are coming, um, electric vehicles. You know, the you know, I think back of all the innovation that we've seen in our lifetime, yeah. and we're like, wow, that's amazing. Well, it's going to be going at you know even a faster clip. I saw a note this morning that the pipe dream of humans on Mars by 2026 might not be a pipe dream. Yeah. That may actually come to fruition. And the thought of that is in my lifetime, like, you know, I, I was, you know, just a little baby when we landed on the moon. Yeah. And I'm thinking, okay, here I am 50 some years later. Okay. We're going to be landing human beings on Mars. It's like that, that's just, it's such a huge thing. And it's because of innovation. It's of drive. It's desire. It's having an idea. Okay. Here's an idea. What do we need to do to accomplish it? And who do we need to work with? And you, it, it's just having that purpose and that drive makes a big difference. And the millennial generation and Gen X wasn't lazy. We just had all kinds of different things. You know, we were the latchkey kids and, you know, all of those things that we, you know, that phrase, I don't know, some millennials may not, it's like, what's a latchkey kid? You know, it's like, it's like we got home because our parents were working. So, we were able to, you know, watch television and make food or whatever we needed to do. Um, but encourage every generation to find their strengths, find their desires, find what they love to do and go at it. Don't hold back. If you fail, great. You know what? That you learn something. You'll try something else. You'll find it. And when you do, it's going to be amazing. And the impact you're going to have on the world is just uh, is beyond measure. 
Well, and that's, that's, you're never going to innovate if you're bound by conventional wisdom or you want to just cling desperately to the status quo. And the next generation, they are not bound by conventional wisdom, which I think is great. And I, I understand it's been interesting to me to see during the pandemic, people in leadership positions that still cling to the status quo. And I'm like, there is no status quo anymore. I mean, these are concerning times, but it's exciting times too. And I, you look at working remotely and, you know, my book has made it around the world and I've connected with people in Australia, two young people I connected with, I want to give a shout out to a young man named Jericho in Spain. So he was named, I believe, one of the top 100 leader, young leaders in Spain. He's 20 years old, read my book, reached out to me. He is writing his own book. And then a young lady in Seattle that goes to the University of Washington, Brittany. So she reached out to me. She had read my book as well, but she's writing her own book. And somehow they know each other. You know, this is two 20-year-olds that are emerging leaders on a worldwide basis, both writing their own books at the age of 20. You know, it took me to the age of 50 to get mine out there, but it's the coolest thing. And I just, to be able to connect with them, that's, I can't wait to see what they do with their lives. That's amazing. And it's, I, I, I joke about this a lot, but I said, you know, we've heard of the Kevin Bacon six degrees of separation. <laughs> I, I pretty much consider it's pretty much zero degrees of separation now. Um, there's some, you know, when I see somebody on LinkedIn or somebody messaging and, and I'm like, wait a minute, how do you know that person? Well, it's like, well, you're this and this and like, it's like, okay, this is so surreal. You know, it's like somebody that I'm doing work with and like, how do you know my buddy Mark uh, that I worked with in Chicago 20 something years ago? How, how you're not even in Chicago. How, how does that work? And it, it's amazing. And I love the fact that you know, people are reaching out and that your book is inspiring people across the globe to take leadership at the direction that you have done and has served you well and continues to serve you well? Well, it's just, I, I had great mentors growing up. <clears throat> so I, I enjoy mentoring the next generation. And it's, I think in leadership positions, and I see it in municipal government, I see it in cities, but there's sometimes a tendency to hold on to your, in your power, <clears throat> power or whatever you want to call it beyond your shelf life. And to me, it's, you know, passing the baton. You know, I, I had my time in office nine years. I'm, you know, I'm writing my book. I'm, I'm working with uh, partners to advise cities around the U.S. We're working with the Niagara Institute out of Toronto. But, but I had my time, and now it's time for it's their time to lead. And I, I here again, they're so creative and so energetic, and really want to change the world. They, the millennial generation and the generations behind them, it's it, its just fun to watch and fun to be a part of it in that role, in the mentoring role. Yeah, I've been a mentor to a lot of people and, you know, I'm, I'm, I get the feedback that I get from what I produce and the show and everything else uh, is such an overwhelming feeling, even to this day. It's, it, it's an absolute honor uh, that people take the time. And time is that one commodity that 
once you spend it, you don't get it back. So when they take the time to listen to the show or read a book or read a post or something, that is a gift. And I treat it as such. And I'm thankful that that I am able to share and guide people in the work that I do. And I'm very thankful for, for you and, and the amazing work you're doing. So, Deke, I've loved this conversation. Uh, where can people find out more about you and this awesome work that you're doing? The book is The Change Maker, The Art of Building Better Leaders. My website is deke-copenhaver, C-O-P-E-N-H-A-V is in Victor, E-R.com. You know, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter. Actually, I got, I took a little break from social media after um, watching The Social Dilemma, but I'm about to start my own podcast as well, so I will be back full force. But, uh, but thank you for providing a platform for like-minded people to come together and have a good conversation. That's, that's so important, and that's encouraging to me, the, the growth of podcasts. You know, you're reaching a worldwide audience. So I think it's incredibly cool, my friend, and thank you for having me. You know, I'm, the pleasure has been all mine too. So Deke, thank you for the awesome work that you continue to do and enjoy the rest of your day. I will. And I'm going to see you when I come to Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Looking forward to it. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of the Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.